That is a tough act to follow. Can I just say, this is a red shirt (laughs) that froze on my way out to the car, and it has not thawed yet, so maybe it'll it'll be more red when I'm done preaching. Uh, My name is Josh Kruger. Uh, It's really an honor to preach uh, tonight uh, in this, what a special occasion to be able to preach. Uh, Thank you for all the visitors who are here with friends and family or some who just came by yourself. Um, It is always a joy for us to have visitors uh, be with us. Do you realize that the degree to which we know people informs the ways in which we respond to them and relate to them? So although we strive to treat all people fair and with the same respect and the same dignity, we really do not relate to all people the same. Your your relationship with your sibling, your child, your best friend is different than your relationship with the person you just met for the first time or your dentist or a spam caller. Because you know your friend, because you know your child, because you know your parent, and you know that they love you and care for you, and and, and as you get to know them better, you learn to relate to them in a different way. You learn to open up to them in a way you don't to strangers. And at some point, you're willing to love them to the point of sacrificing It's also because you know the intentions of that spam caller that you do not trust them and that you do not care very much about their emotional feelings and that you don't share your life with them. The degree to which we know people, really know people, inform the way that we respond to them and that we relate to them. And what we will see tonight, friends, is that this is also true about Jesus. Who we believe Jesus to be, this Christ born on this night, a child born for us, a son given to us, who we believe this Jesus to be will inform our response to him and will be evidenced by our relationship with him. If we truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Redeemer, then our response will be obedience and worship and joy. If you do not have ever surrendered your life to Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of this world, you will most likely be critical of him, apathetic towards him or stand in pure rebellion against him. And so the nature of our response to Jesus and our relationship with Jesus is the evidence of our understanding of who Jesus truly is. Our passage this evening is from Matthew chapter 16. If you have a Bible, I invite you to go there. 
We drop into the gospel of Matthew here at a time where Jesus was doing a lot of traveling with his disciples. He was going through the regions and he was teaching and he, were, he was performing many miracles. And then we get to Matthew 16 and we're reading verses 13 through 17. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. We're going to look at this passage tonight in three main headings. The first one will be the nature of Jesus' question. The second is three different answers to Jesus' question. And the last is our response to Jesus' question. The question that Jesus asked in this passage twice is a really penetrating, piercing question. He asks it first in verse 13. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And then he asks it again in verse 15, but who do you say that I am? And as we consider this question, we have to ask ourselves, why is Jesus asking this question? Why is he interested in the answer to this question? And what is it that he's really asking? Now, what we can be very sure of is that Jesus did not ask this question because he wanted to hear what his ranking was on the religious leader poll. He was not interested to, to hear how well he is liked and how popular he is with the people or the disciples. You see, Jesus did not come to earth. What we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas, we don't celebrate a Jesus who came to be popular. We came to serve a Jesus who came to lay down his life, a humble king, a promised Messiah, Savior, and our Redeemer. So what was Jesus really asking then? When he said, who do you say that I am? They all knew who Jesus was as a man. So this is definitely not just a question of, hey, do you know who I am? Yes, you're Jesus. Okay, I'm John. The meaning of Jesus' question is profoundly more deep than what it seems on the outset. What he was asking is, he was really asking them, do you know who I really am? Has it been revealed to you that I am the Christ, the Messiah, sent by the Father to redeem a people? Do you acknowledge me as Savior? Do you acknowledge me as Lord? 
Are you willing to deny yourself and live for me? That and much more is all tangled up in that one question, who do you say that I am? And so Jesus' intent with this question was to reveal hearts and to reveal what people truly believed. And what they said in that moment would ultimately be proved or disproved by the evidence of their response to him and the nature of their relationship with him. Over the past four weeks, we have gone through an admin sermon series called Behold the Lamb, and we looked at Matthew chapters 1 and 2. And as we looked at it carefully, at the story of leading up to Jesus' birth and a few years into his life, we saw some hearts revealed. We saw some different responses to Jesus based on who different people believed Jesus to be. First, there were the wise men who came from the east. They came to Jerusalem inquiring about the birth of Jesus. And it was clear that there was revelation that was given to these men through what they revealed they know about this baby to be born. And so we read in Matthew 2 verse 2, they were inquiring, where is he who was born king of the Jews? And so we see their response when they laid eyes on Jesus the first time. In Matthew 2 verse 11 it says, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, And they fell down and they worshipped him. What these men believed was that this child was the king of the Jews. And what they believed caused them to have a very specific response. Worship of this king. But worshipping Jesus was not the only response that we saw in, in that story that we looked at for four weeks. When King Herod heard of this king who was born, he was less than impressed. Because what Herod knew about Jesus was that this new king was a threat to him and to his kingdom. He had no idea who Jesus really was. And again, what he believed informed his response to Jesus And in his case, not a response of worship, but a response of murder. And we read in Matthew 2, verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were there two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Again, his response to Jesus was evidence of what he believed Jesus to be. Our honest answer, church, to the question, who do you say that I am, will always be evidenced by how we respond to Jesus, how we relate to Jesus, always. And so Jesus asked this question twice, 
Who am I really? But in that same section that I read, there are three answers to that question. The first answer came from the people. The first question Jesus asked was, who do people say that I am? Now, we are not exactly clear or know exactly who the people was, but we can make assumptions that these were probably the people who followed Jesus. There were crowds of people following Jesus and hearing him minister and seeing all the miracles that he performed. And these people were likely much more interested in the spectacular miracles that Jesus performed than they were interested in him as their redeemer. Their answer to who Jesus is is insightful. Some said John the Baptist, others said Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now their responses were in line with the popular messianic expectations held in Israel at the time, coming from several Old Testament predictions about a great prophet who was to come. But what is absolutely clear from their response is that they did not know who Jesus really was. If they knew, they would have said it, but they did not. They did not know or believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah, that he was the Son of God who came to reconcile sinners to God. They did not know him, nor did they believe that he was God in the flesh. And so if it is true that who we believe Jesus is will inform our response to him, what was the response of the people who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah? And I believe the answer to that question is found in Matthew chapter 27. When Jesus was brought before Pilate, Pilate addressed the crowd of people. And he said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then What shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. And so we see once again how their response to Jesus is evidence of their belief of who Jesus is. The people did not know who Jesus truly was. They did not recognize him as their savior. And so their response was rebellion and opposition to the point of killing him. But there's a second answer to the question, who do you say that I am? And it actually came from Jesus himself. And it's embedded inside the first question that he asked. In verse 13, Jesus said, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus Jesus clued them in. He clued them in on who he was by asking the question in that very specific way. 
Son of man was Jesus' favorite self-designation used to indicate the true meaning of his identity as the humble servant who came to forgive common sinners like us, as the suffering servant whose atoning death and resurrection will redeem a people, and as the glorious king and judge who will return to establish God's kingdom on this earth. We read about Son of Man the first time in the book of Daniel, Daniel 7 verses 13 and 14 says, I saw in the night visions and behold with the cloud of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. By calling himself son of man, Jesus was telling them that he was God, the son in human flesh. Friends, when you sing songs, when you hear songs like this, away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. Please know that you are not singing about a helpless, poor Jesus who is to be pitied because he was born in a stable. When you sing those words, you are singing about the King of Kings. You're singing about the Lord of Lords, about God Most High. You are singing to the one and about the one who has glory and power and dominion and whose kingdom will never be destroyed. When we sing of Jesus, even the babe Jesus, we will do well to do like the wise men, to fall down and worship him. And in the same way, when you read the Christmas story tomorrow as a family, remember what, remember who it is that you are reading about. You are not reading about little poor Jesus. Don't think that. Don't think poor little Jesus. Think glorious, exalted God. Because that is who he was and who he is and who he ever will be into eternity. When Jesus was there, when the wise men found found him, he was glorious king of all. There's a third answer to the response of the question, who do you say I am? And this is in response to the question directed at Jesus' disciples when he said, who do you say that I am? And the answer came from Peter. Look with me in verse 15. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it makes me want to shout, yes, Peter, you're right. You got this one right. 
This is who Jesus is. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. And right there, Peter showed that he knew exactly who this Jesus was. He was not one of the prophets. He was Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. And although we might think, well, he, maybe he knew that because he knew all the Old Testament prophecies and he was close to Jesus, it's not true. There were many people who knew all those prophecies and who saw Jesus and they did not believe. And so the question is, why did, why did Peter believe? And Jesus gave us the answer, right? In verse 17, he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so we ask, what response did believing the truth about Christ produce in Peter's life? Well, it produced faith, and it produced surrender, and it produced worship, And the fruit of that faith was that he became what? He became the rock on which Christ built his church. That's the result of him knowing and believing who Christ was. So look at Acts chapter 2. We see Peter preaching the well-known sermon of Pentecost. And he was speaking to them about Jesus. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then at verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who were received, who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. What a baptism service. Aren't you glad you didn't work in King's Kids that day? <laughs> Peter knew through divine revelation who Jesus was. And we observe evidence of that in his life. He lived a life of obedience and humility, self-denial, sacrificing, proclaiming Christ wherever he went.
Christmas is, according to the song, the most wonderful time of the year. And I think we can agree with that. But it is not for all the silly reasons that the song says that there be parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, and caroling out in the snow. That is not why Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year because of the amazing truth that we celebrate this season, the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But why? There may be someone here today that says, why? Why Why was it necessary for Jesus to come? Why did he have to be born in the flesh? Why, why was it necessary for him even to go to the cross? Why did he have to die so brutally? Why, why was it necessary for us to be redeemed? And the question, the answer to all of those questions is because of sin. The Bible is very clear that Adam's original sin was transferred to the entire human race. And not only did sin spread to all people, but death, spiritual death, spread to all people because all have sinned. And therefore, every person on earth stands under the righteous wrath and the righteous anger of God most holy. And the only way that we could escape eternal spiritual death and be reconciled with the Father is by paying the full penalty owed by us for our sins to satisfy God's righteous wrath. And here is the very bad news. None of us can do that because none of us is good enough to pay that penalty that is due our sins. It does not matter how good you are. It does not matter how much you give to the poor, how many charities you support. It does not matter how morally great you think you are. Your and my good works are but filthy rags, church. It cannot ever pay the debt. It cannot appease the righteous anger of God. And without a perfect, sinless sacrifice, we will stand under God's judgment forever. And that is why Jesus came. That is what we are celebrating during Christmas. Being fully God, he left the glories of heaven and he came down to earth to be born as a baby. He was the only human ever to be born without a sin nature. And he grew up and he lived a perfectly sinless and a perfectly obedient life. And when he was innocently Nailed to that cross, he took our sins and he took our punishments upon himself and he paid the ultimate price, his own perfect sinless life so that we can be forgiven of our sins and that we could be reconciled with the Father.
When you think of Jesus during Christmas, think of that. That's why he came. Because you and I would be dead, spiritually dead forever without Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. Church, Jesus is asking each one of us tonight to answer the question, who do you say that I am? With all that it means, do you believe that I am Christ, the Messiah, sent by the Father to redeem you? Do you acknowledge me as Savior? Do you acknowledge me as Lord of your life? And are you willing to deny yourself, obey me, and live only for me? And we have to answer that question. And if you answer in the affirmative to that question, I praise the Lord for that. And I want to challenge you to look closely at your life and to look for the evidence that would support that confession. Because as we've seen, who we believe Jesus to be will be evident in our response to him and in the nature of our relationship to him. Does your life bear fruit, the evidence of the life surrendered to Jesus? Is your life marked with joyful obedience to Christ? Are you growing in personal holiness? Is your treasuring of Christ increasing? Again, if your answer is yes, not perfect, it will be perfect for none of us ever, but striving towards it, then I praise Jesus with you. But if you say yes to the questions about who Christ is, yet your life is marked by fruit that is contrary to that confession, because you live for yourself or because you're apathetic towards God or his word, or you live in anger or rebellion against God, I want to encourage you tonight to go to God in humble repentance, asking him to forgive you and to help you to bear the fruit that is consistent with your profession of faith in him. He is eager, church, to help us. He gave his life for us. He came for this. He came so that we could be forgiven and free and so that we can live lives that honor and glorify his name. And so if you are a true Christian, but you look at your life and you see fruit that's not consistent with your confession, go to Jesus and ask him to forgive you and ask him to help you to have fruit, to produce fruit in you that is consistent with your profession. If though you cannot honestly say tonight that Jesus is the Savior and the Lord of your life, I have great news for you. Salvation is available for you in Jesus Christ. If you confess your sins and place your faith in the redemptive work of Christ, believing that he paid with his life, so that you can be forgiven. And if you desire to live for him in obedience by turning away from living for your own selfish desires, 
you will be reconciled to God Most High. A gift that is above all gifts. All gifts you've ever received, all gifts you will ever receive. That is the greatest gift of all. If this is you, I encourage you to talk to a faithful Christian friend or to a pastor about this. It is the most important thing you can ever do in your life to find out who Jesus really is and then to surrender your life to his reign. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian or how to become a Christian, feel free to come talk with me after the service tonight. Tomorrow is Christmas, church. And although the day will be filled with the joys of gifts and laughter and food for most people, I pray that for each of us and for each of you that your greatest joy tomorrow and your deepest satisfaction tomorrow will be in celebrating the amazing gift and grace of Jesus Christ who came down from heaven to earth to be born in a manger to become your and my redeemer. May we continue to grow in treasuring Christ tomorrow and every day after for the rest of our lives. May that be so. Amen. Amen. Can I pray for us? Lord, how humble it is to look at the story, your story, that you were willing to leave the glories of heaven and come down to earth to humble yourself so that you could come and serve us sinners. You, the sinless, perfect, holy Christ, came to serve us, to lay down your life for us. And tonight we want to thank you Thank you when we celebrate Christmas that we do not celebrate it like the world, but we celebrate you coming to be our Redeemer. Thank you that you did not leave us in our hopeless estate. Thank you that you came because you loved us. And so now I pray, Lord, tonight and tomorrow, when we think of you, when we see the nativity scenes in people's yards and in, on our, in our homes. Help us not to think, poor Jesus, but help us to think, glorious King of heaven and earth. You are worthy of all our honor and praise and glory. Help us to live lives that honor and glorify you. It's in the mighty name of Christ we pray. Amen.